Well, here we go. We are back. We are back. We are ready in the 2023 college basketball season. The March to March and the madness is underway. And it is college basketball coast to coast. I'm the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. I'm going to constantly enlist the help of some tremendous guests, uh, some uh, people that have great feel for the game, that either broadcast the game, write about the game, knowledge of the game, former players, former coaches, all kinds of stuff. You found us. Thank you for finding us. And make sure you're following, subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, also find us on TuneIn as well, and we'll have live coverage on TuneIn all the way through the month of March, all the way to the Final Four in Houston. So, as I mentioned, I can't do this by myself. Let's get it underway. Uh, some insights, some analysis. I have dubbed him even years ago when we first began to talk, the West Coast Bureau Chief, whenever I talk college hoops or college football or anything, or even NFL nostalgia, whatever it is. Uh, 80s pop culture, 90s pop culture. Hello, Matt Zimmick. Good to be back with you on uh, a kickoff edition here, a tip-off edition since it's basketball of college basketball coast to coast. How you feeling? All right. It must be late January. We're, we're back at it. it. It feels good. It feels normal. We're back in the saddle again. I know. And, and I always seemingly get a prompt from Mr. Zimmick. Hey, when is college basketball coast to coast starting back up? So I know it's our time of the year. It is getting to be our time of the year so before we get into what you cover matt is again based in the phoenix area matt covers the usc trojans for the usa today trojans wire website uh and their and all of their content so he leans some pac-12 knowledge but i love him for all the stuff in the west before we get there do we i mean in years gone by we've had like a prohibitive favorite to win the whole thing I, do we have a team that we can say as January is ending, th this team is a favorite to be a Final Four, if not national title team? I don't know that there is one. What would you say? We definitely don't. And you will remember the 2020 NCAA tournament, the tournament that never did occur. Had that 2020 NCAA tournament happened, you know, the number one seeds, uh, you know, Baylor was going to be a number one seed. Uh, Florida State was in the hunt. Dayton was in the hunt for a number one seed. Uh, Gonzaga was going to be a number one seed. Uh, San Diego State was going to be a, either a number one or a number two seed. So you're going to have a lot of untraditional schools, basketball schools, on the top two seed lines uh, heading into that tournament. Like Dayton, Florida State, San Diego State, uh, Baylor would have been like a plausible Final Four. But of course... When the Blue Bloods aren't on those top two seed lines, like you you don't have that trusted team, that trusted name. And we're seeing it play out uh, in college basketball this year. And of course, you know, last year when none of the, well, not none, but few of the high seeds, you know, held up under scrutiny, ironically, we still got a Blue Blood Final Four, a Blue Blood championship game so like you know there's something about the name on the chest there is something about the name on the jersey when it's when it's late march when it's prime time even if those school the blue bloods aren't at the on the top seed lines they might rise to the top but like so we're looking at non-blue blood names on the one line on selection sunday and of course can as we record this we're recording this late monday night Kansas is losing yet another game. Kansas is losing a third straight game. Yep. So the Jayhawks are not going to be on that one line, at least, you know, right now. It's probably look, looking like Kansas will be a two or a three. Um, if we if we presume that Kansas doesn't recover 
and doesn't get back to the one line, you know, it'll have to win a bunch of games because Kansas is really playing itself right out of the one seed conversation. We're looking at a one line with Alabama, Purdue, uh, and then, you know, it gets pretty murky, actually. <laughs> maybe uh, we'll get to them. Maybe UCLA, if they keep rolling, because they've won, UCLA, what, 13 or know, 14 Houston, games in a row, right? Houston right. just lost to Temple mm-hmm. at home, and Temple didn't hit a bucket in the final, final seven minutes of regulation. So, like, lots of those screwy kinds of things have been happening, and you, you do not have, like, a team that's right at the top. I, I would say that, like, if you were to just take a stab at who's going to be the national champion, I think you'd probably say Alabama, but like, you're not going to say, Oh, the Crimson Tide are head and shoulders above everyone else. You know, this is not one of the better Gonzaga teams we've seen under Mark Few. We'll obviously talk about that later when we talk about the West coast conference, but that not that great Gonzaga team still went into Birmingham and beat Alabama by 10 points. So like, Alabama's having a great year, looking like a number one seed, looking like the SEC favorite, and yet you wouldn't dare say, oh, it's clearly Alabama's national championship to lose. No one would say that. There is no clear-cut favorite for the national championship. There's, it's not like this Gonzaga-Baylor from 2021 when it was clear that those were the two teams that were lording themselves over everyone else. You do not have that dynamic, not at all. No doubt. And you gave me a lot of meat on the bone. Now, when you said Alabama, the only thing that I'm thinking, and, and look, uh, they're very entertaining. And, and my guy, Chris Stewart, is calling the play-by-play for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. But when when it comes down to it, can they win repeatedly in March in one-game scenarios with the way they play? And the way they play being defined as we want full volume of threes or shots at the rim, and that's it. Uh, I, I don't know that that is conducive to being able to win six games over three weekends in the NCAA tournament, the way that they play. Much more time to debate that. But in any event, um, there it's certainly – I mean, UConn is another team that came to mind when you were talking. UConn, if we had talked about them at the end of December, would easily be a number one seed. Is UConn even going to be on the two line or the three line by the time that we get to Selection Sunday? Because they've taken their lumps. In the Big East, we don't know if that's going to be uh, the case. All right, so let's morph it a little bit into the Pac-12, which you obviously cover very closely. The uh, Cal- the Southern California teams were in Arizona this weekend for USC and UCLA playing Arizona and Arizona State, respectively. UCLA had their 14-game win streak snapped on Saturday by Arizona. Very impressive win at Arizona State. They come back, though, in about 38 hours Uh, notice and get beat by Arizona Uh, USC obviously hanging in all right give me a thought or two on the Pac-12 and what we've seen to this point it's been a very disappointing season for the Pac-12 as a whole because you know before the season you're thinking all right Tad Boyle and his Colorado Buffaloes you know they might be a NCAA tournament team Dana Altman you know he had couldn't make the NCAAs last year all right well he's gonna align the Rubik's Cubes this season, put the pieces together, get Oregon back to the NCAA tournament. Because, you know, Altman made a Final Four in 2017 uh, in Phoenix. Uh, you know, and he's, he's taken Oregon to the Elite Eight. He's made Oregon a number one seed. He's done a great job over there the past decade. So you'd think that, okay, he had that one year which slipped through the cracks, but he's going to get back at it this season. Nope, hasn't happened. Oregon lost to Stanford over the weekend. 
almost certain to be an NIT team, you know, barring, you know, a miracle run at the Pac-12 tournament. So the Pac-12 situation, it's right now, it's looking like three teams in the NCAA tournament. UCLA and Arizona are locks, and then Arizona State has the inside position for a third bid. USC and Utah are in very much in the mix and on the bubble for a fourth bid, but like you wouldn't really trust them just yet, and they both need a lot more meat on the bone in terms of their respective resumes. Uh, so, like, you know, three teams, likely four teams maximum. That is not what the Pac-12 was expecting. Of course, let's remember in 2021, Pac-12, you know, just surprised everyone at the NCAA tournament with UCLA going to the Final Four and Oregon State coming within two minutes of making, a, you know, an amazing Final Four run. Uh, and you've had so many other Pac-12 teams going deep into it. Of course, UC USC making the Elite Eight. So after 2021, like Pac-12 stock was rising. And, you know, here we are two seasons later and might get just three teams into the dance as a, as a power conference team. And then, of course, you know, UCLA is going to be leaving for the Big Ten in two years. Uh, so uh, not definitely not what the Pac-12 had in mind. And it's been a, it's been a pretty thin and an uninspired season out here in the West. Love Matt Zimmick's insight. Follow him at Matt Zimmick, Z-E-M-E-K, on social media, the USC Trojans Wire uh, website from USA Today. Love his insight on the Pac-12. And UCLA and USC will play later this week on Thursday night rematch of what was a wild game uh, where UCLA was dominating for the first 20 minutes and then USC came roaring back from down like 15 or more to make it a close game before UCLA hung on and won. So this is the rematch uh, of that matchup coming later on in this week. And I, you know, I don't know for sure that it is, it probably is a third team for sure. UCLA Arizona look like the, uh, the, the two teams that are shoe ins for the NCAA tournament. And then maybe it's somebody that makes a run in late February and or March. That Oregon State team you referenced a couple of years ago, this is why we love March, Matt Zimmick. They had a losing record in late February. They had a losing record going into the Pac-12 tournament, did they not, that they won, and then they rolled all the way into the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. That's why we love March, right? And who knows if there's another 2023 version of what Oregon State did coming out of the West. Well, just to just to refresh people's memories about that Oregon State team, you might remember that Arizona was ineligible for the Pac-12 tournament that year. And people might say, well, what does that have to do with Oregon State? I'll tell you, because Arizona was ineligible for the Pac-12 tournament, you know, and that's because of the Sean Miller, uh, Christian right. Dawkins, FBI investigation, that meant that the Pac-12 tournament was just 11 teams. Well, so Oregon State, you know, was able to slide up uh, in, into a, a position where it didn't have to play uh, a first round game. You know, it was able to, to, to it had a, it had a shorter path through the PAC 12 tournament. If Arizona was there, you would have had a 12 team uh, mm -hmm. tournament. So that, that affected Oregon state there. So like, you know, Oregon state was the beneficiary of a break that, you know, at the time, no one thought it was going to matter. But it did. It mattered a lot that Oregon State had to play just three games instead of uh, four uh, to, to win that thing. So, you know, it, it, an absolutely astounding run. But you know, the bubble situation consists of three teams. Arizona State has three quad one wins and USC and Utah uh, have two. 
And so Arizona State leads USC and Utah, but not by a ton. Of course, USC beating Arizona State and Arizona State losing to both UCLA and USC. Like Arizona State failed to nail down a bid this week. Like if Arizona State had won at least one of the two, like the Sun Devils would be looking very solid for a bid. I mean, I'd say their odds are still better than 50-50, but they've really left the door open, you know, for a, a downslide. Uh, to the bubble and perhaps the NIT. So USC and Utah both gained ground. USC with the head-to-head win in Tempe, and Utah took care of business sweeping the Washington schools. But really, it's, it's those three teams on the bubble to varying degrees. Arizona State would be first among those three right now, but USC and Utah certainly are going to get to make their case. And, of course, uh, these these schools are all going to be playing each other in the coming weeks. So those gonna those are gonna be big time bubble battles coming up in the Pac twelve. Love Matt Zimmick's insight on everything out in the West. All right, so let's talk let's talk a little West Coast conference while we have a moment. You mentioned Gonzaga. They are a perennial Final Four contender. They have the huge win over Alabama in Birmingham, but they also got beat badly by Texas earlier in the year. They've looked mortal on a couple of occasions. They lost at home what what is this the the first loss as i've joked on other shows and other programming since the nixon administration or maybe <laughs> it was the reagan administration that they lost a home game okay not quite that far but it had been a while 75 games in a row they had won before loyola marymount beat them in conference play so gonzaga will play portland on saturday that's their next game uh, they they have bounced back from the Loyola Marymount loss by winning big. What was it, Pepperdine? I think that they drilled on the weekend. Let me double check. It's Pacific. They, they won at Pacific. Pacific that they drilled on the weekend. But, what do yeah. we make of Gonzaga twenty twenty three? Does few with Drew Timmy back with the pieces around him, Strader and the other pieces around him? Do they have uh the the makings of a team that can put it together and go deep? into the NCAA tournament, what do you think? Well, you know, it, it, the thing with Gonzaga is it doesn't have that elite point guard that it's had, had the past few seasons. You know, Andrew Nempard, uh last season and Jalen Suggs the year before. Like, you know, having that commander who runs the offense, makes everything flow smoothly, can put the ball, you know, right where Drew Timmy wants it, you know, can make entry passes and just facilitate half-court offense. Gonzaga does not have that elite orchestrator, that elite maestro in the backcourt. That is a significant deficit. But the other thing that I've learned pretty recently, just following some people who, you know, cover the Zags constantly, there was a podcast in, on which Mark Few just out and out said this. He says, our players don't talk on defense. Our players don't communicate on defense. And like he's saying that in mid-January? Like, so, you know, like what, what's been going on the past two months? And like, <laughs> if guys don't want to communicate on defense, like, is there something deeper going on there? But, you know, so in that Gonzaga Pacific game, like Gonzaga won, but Gonzaga gave up 47 points in the first half to Pacific, to Pacific. Yeah. Like if it was San Francisco, like the, the Dons have elite scores. And so if you get torched by San Francisco, uh, San Francisco beat Arizona State by like 35. Uh, so like San Francisco on its best night. All right. You, know, you go up against the flamethrower with some really skilled athletes. Okay. But you should, if you're a good team, you should never be giving up 47 points and a half to Pacific. 
And yet that's what happened to Gonzaga. And, and, you know, the loss to Loyola Marymount, I mean, it, it's bizarre, not just on its face, because Gonzaga had gone over. Here's another streak that got snapped. Gonzaga had won over 90 uh, consecutive games uh, over unranked teams. So that that streak ended. And there was also a really long streak of not having lost a game uh, to a non-BYU, non-St. Mary's WCC <laughs> opponent. That that goes back to 2014. That was a nine-year streak. At, ho- at that home. Got right, at home. And that was at home. Right. But so so lots of streaks got snapped. But, you know, Gonzaga was playing all these close games on the road. You know, was down six at San Francisco with 4-12 left, came back to win. Was down a bucket or two to Santa Clara with like three minutes left came back to win, was down 70 to 65 at BYU in the Marriott Center in Provo with about two and a half minutes left, came back to win that. So you'd think that after all those close shaves on the road, coming home to against Loyola Marymount, you'd think, all right, Gonzaga's, you know, learned from those close shaves, learned not to play with its food, learned not to play with fire. Whoopsie, that that's not actually true. And and, you know, the final of that game, that was a 68-67 game. So, really, the defense wasn't even the issue in that one. And then you go to Pacific and you allow 47 points in the first half. You no, know, Gonzaga rebounds in the second half to win. But, you know, that's the other thing is that it's not one side of the ball. It's both. You know, well, one, Loyola Marymount. One game, Gonzaga is not playing any defense. It's, it's various elements of this sure. team. And, and that's Loyola- really real cause for concern. Pardon me, Loyola Marymount chose to take time off the shot clock, chose to slow the game down and shortened, you know, shortened number of possessions in the game. I don't know that everybody's capable of doing that in the West Coast Conference, the blueprint that they showed. Gonzaga is still one of the top teams. Just while we're on that subject, we're going to move on to the Mountain West in just a second. Matt Zimmick with us. No West Coast bias here. Uh, No East Coast bias. We got West Coast love uh, here on College Basketball Coast to Coast right off the bat. Uh, And by the way, our guy Chris Daubertine blogging the bracket will be with me uh, shortly here after Matt is done to give you some more insight on the bracket. Who are those ones and twos and in particular uh, teams that are already maybe on the outside looking in. He'll do that in a little bit here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. Uh, back to St. St. Mary's is seven and zero in the conference is St. Mary's at the moment in your mind, late January, are they an NCAA tournament team right now from a resume standpoint? Do you believe that that's a second team from the West coast conference? And does the West coast conference maybe even get a third team out of a San Francisco or a BYU or somebody else? Quick thought. Yeah. San Francisco and the other non St. Mary's teams, they, they just stumbled too many times uh, in non-conference play. And also San Francisco, you know, had the knife to the throat against Gonzaga, couldn't close that down. So I'm thinking that the WCC looks like a two bid league and, and, you know, St. Mary's had an uneven uh, conference season uh, lost to Washington Huskies. Uh, they in are Anaheim. six. They're six in the net right now for what it's yeah. worth. Six. Yeah. So that's strong yeah. for the Gales, no doubt. The, the fact that St. Mary's is winning everything in the WCC, like that has put the this, this season back on track. But like entering WCC play, uh, St. Mary's did not have a very convincing resume. But I think at this point, you know, with the relentless uh, winning streak that the Gales are putting together, and, you know, road win at San Francisco, that matters. Uh, road win at Santa Clara, that matters. Like the, the, those those wins in, and you know no bad losses in conference play, yeah, that's going to get the Gales into the tournament. Uh, pr- I'm pretty safe about that. If they if they continue on this course and their only losses are two 
Gonzaga and they beat everybody else, that should be good enough to get into the tournament. St. Mary's BYU Saturday <laughs> night, 7 Pacific time. If you are interested on ESPN2, that one will be interesting as we set the table for the week here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. All right, Mountain West Conference. And, and is it fair to say right now that a Mountain West Conference with the likes of San Diego State and New Mexico and Nevada, I'm going to leave somebody out, Boise State, all these different teams that we've seen, they they may get more teams than the Pac-12 or the WCC in the tournament. Uh, I mean, you and I are recording this on Monday, and Nevada, Steve Alford's team, has just completed a wild double overtime 97-94 win over New Mexico that that bolsters them a little bit. Is the Mountain West seriously going to get four teams maybe in the NCAA tournament? Uh, it's very possible. I think that right now three teams are pretty solid for NCAA tournament bids, and that's uh, – New Mexico, despite the loss to Nevada, you know, was New Mexico was the last unbeaten team in major college basketball uh, this season. San Diego State, you know, what Brian Dutcher's been doing, you know, that that's a rock solid program that's been really good uh, in conference play. So the Aztecs look good to go. Boise State is still inside the cut line. I mean, Boise State lost in overtime to New Mexico uh, on Friday in the pit. Uh, looked like an NCAA tournament team. You know, t- if you're taking New Mexico down to the wire in the pit, like that's pretty good this season. Uh, now that you know New Mexico is back on track, so those three teams look pretty good. Now Nevada by winning this game, like that's huge. Like Nevada, I think it'll in the minds of a lot of bracketologists. We'll see what Chris Daubertine thinks uh, from his uh, perch in terms on blogging mm-hmm. the bracket. But uh, Nevada had slid, you know, outside the cut line. This win over New Mexico might get Nevada inside the cut line. So Nevada and Utah State, that's that's really the bubble. But uh, New Mexico, San Diego State, uh, and Boise State, those are the three that look kind of s- s- more solidified. And it's Nevada and Utah State that are going to be jockeying for a fourth bid, maybe a fifth. But I would say, you know, expect four from the Mountain West and, and Utah State and Nevada have to hash it out. We should say that Utah State trailed San Jose State for most of uh, the Aggies' most recent game on Saturday, but managed to come back and win 75-74. You know, we could look back on that escape as, you know, saving the Aggies' resume uh, relative to the NCAA tournament. But, hey, you know, the Mountain West had an absolutely atrocious year in football, but in basketball, this is really one of the really fun conferences outside Power Fives. You're going to have so many of these uh, top teams knocking heads against each other. That Boise State New Mexico game from Friday night in Albuquerque being a perfect example. Uh, it is fun, intense basketball. Uh, and you know when we get into March, you know one of my favorite days of the year is is uh, conference tournament Friday. You have all those great conference tournament games from sunup to sundown. You know after you get through the SEC quarterfinals, the Big Twelve semifinals, ACC semifinals, you got that late night. Mountain West semifinal three versus two on CBS sports network. One, one of my favorite <laughs> little times of the year. And you know, that that's always a very interesting uh, game just before selection Sunday. There's usually some seating or selection drama in those late mountain West semifinals. And of course, you know, 25 years ago, this was the midnight snack in the whack. Sure. Uh, and, and so the, the mountain West is basically the extension of that. So it's a really fun conference. If if you if you any uh, listeners to college basketball coast to coast in the East, 
Like if you, if if the Mountain West just seems like you know it's just something that's out there and and also just you you can't stay up to watch it, uh, you know, late at night. I mean, I understand, but like on a Saturday night, instead of watching your favorite movie or your favorite Netflix series, watch uh, late night Mountain West hoops. You will uh, not be disappointed. No, I agree. You got a midweek game, Utah State, who I neglected, and thank you for picking me up on that. Playing at San Diego State, that's fantastic. That's five and two Utah State, six and one San Diego State. Uh, in the conference, and then I am looking at the rest of the slate. It is uh, Saturday when Utah State follows that up playing at Fresno State, so that'll be interesting for them, depending on what happens. Uh, San Diego State will host San Jose State on the weekend. Uh, all right, so there's a little Mountain West talk uh, as well. Patin Richard Patino's New Mexico team, very entertaining. Are we this old? Jamal Mashburn Jr., we are this old. One of the top scorers. But again, they had a rough time in the uh, in, in uh, Reno uh, against Nevada. Double overtime game. Could have won it a couple of times in regulation. Had the, had the ball with a chance to win in double overtime and couldn't get a shot off and then got a flagrant foul, Matt Zimmick, and gave up free throws and then couldn't get the tying three even launched at the end of the game. Uh, so uh, a tough loss for New Mexico, but that's a battle-tested team too. So maybe the Mountain West will get four teams in. All right, closing let's, thoughts. Let's just say something. Closing let's thoughts. just say Go. something. Yeah, let's say something brief about New Mexico. Just what makes New Mexico so tough is that New Mexico has not one elite guard but two. And you mentioned Jamal Mashburn Jr. The other elite guard is Jalen House. Mm -hmm. And tonight against Nevada, even in defeat, Mashburn scores over 30. House had close to a triple-double. He had, uh, uh, late in the game, he had like nine assists and eight rebounds uh, to go along with like 15, 17 points. And so the thing is, two things about that. One, New Mexico know who knows who gets the rock in crunch time situations. Not every team has that. And but with New Mexico, it could be one of two guys. Like you can't focus on one guy. Both House and Mashburn can take over in late game situations. That's what makes New Mexico so so formidable. Well, and again, New Mexico earlier in the year has a win at St. Mary's. By the way, yeah, uh, they also won at SMU True Road game, American Conference team. SMU's below five hundred. They're seven and thirteen right now at the time that we released this, but that's still a True Road win against them. Uh, they also beat San Francisco on a neutral floor. Uh, they also have a win at San Diego State in the conference. I mean, that's that's four wins that you would perk yeah. up at if you're the selection committee looking at yeah. wins away from home if it keeps up for uh, Richard Patino's Lobos. All right, final thought on anything else that we didn't cover before we get out of here, and we'll get to Mr. Blogging the Bracket, Chris Daubertine, in a second on college basketball, coast to coast. Anything else, Matt Zimmick? All right, so I cover USC. Big game against UCLA this Thursday. It's a USC home game. They played at Poly Pavilion at UCLA three weeks ago. U USC held UCLA without a field goal for eight and a half minutes in the second half to rally from a 16-point deficit, got a two-point lead into the final 30 seconds, but then allowed an offensive rebound, which led to a Jalen Clark UCLA game-winning three-pointer with 14 seconds left. One thing, very big thing is different for USC since that time three weeks ago, and that is Vince Iwuchukwu, the, the five-star big man who had a cardiac arrest episode in July, didn't get medical clearance to play until two weeks ago. There, you know, there, he's on a minutes restriction, but he's able to play like four. He played 14 minutes against Arizona State, 
in those 14 minutes, 12 points, five rebounds. He was a monster. And the thing that he brings to the table is rebounding. And so if if we get into a close late game situation against UCLA, then see Wuchukwu, one would expect him to be on the floor in those important minutes. He's the he's taking the baton from Isaiah Mobley last year and Evan Mobley in 2021. He's the latest, you know, Andy Enfield USC big man. And you know, Anyeka Kongwu was the guy in 2020, number six lottery pick to the Atlanta Hawks. Then you have Evan Mobley, then Isaiah Mobley. Well, Iwuchukwu was supposed to be the latest great USC big man. They didn't have him on the floor for the first two months of the season. And, you know, of course, with his health problems, it was appropriate to exercise all caution before allowing him to play. He's getting into the flow. And so if, if he can be an X-factor type player against UCLA and USC is able to win that game, USC's looking really good for the NCAA tournament. But USC being right on the bubble is likely going to need a high-end win over UCLA or Arizona if it wants to feel really good about going into March. And Vince Iwuchukwu could be the difference maker for this team finally integrated into the lineup. All right, we'll watch for that name. I, I love my guy Boogie Ellis that was a Memphis Tiger at one point. Uh, Boogie, I think, is on his ninth year or his twelfth year of eligibility. Still <laughs> he's playing in that Dugan for... Fife zone. <laughs> he's he's been there a while in college Harry basketball. Ellis. Um, so, uh, yeah, for Andy Enfield's team, again, they host UCLA Thursday night, six Pacific time on ESPN two. I love the insight. The man's a clinic of Matt Zimmick, everything West coast. You got a ton just then on this whole conversation, uh, on about 12 to 14 NCAA tournament caliber programs out West pac 12 West coast conference, mountain West. Uh, let's do this again. Let's do this again soon. Shall we on college basketball coast to coast and plug away on how they read your stuff, social media, all of it. Go ahead in closing. We're on Twitter at Trojans wire. And also uh, the website is trojanswire.usatoday.com for latest on USC athletics. And we're definitely, you know, it's a football school, but we're definitely diving into basketball for these next two months with both USC's men's and women's teams very much on the bubble hunting for an NCAA tournament bid uh, full on basketball coverage for the next two months here at Trophy Squire. No doubt follow him as well at Matt Zimek Z-E-M-E-K for the college basketball takes and much more. Matthew thank you for hanging with me on college basketball coast to coast and as promised, we continue along here as we relaunch college basketball coast to coast. It is our time of the year. Hello, Chris Dobertine of bloggingthebracket.com. I love your insight. I love what you do. We've got a new bracket release out on Tuesday as we release this show. So it's a perfect time to say hello again in 2023 for another college basketball end of season run to Chris Dobertine. How you feeling? Happy 2023 run to March, TJ. It's uh, it's going to be a very interesting season. Uh, this is a season kind of unlike others that we've kind of had recently, where I think that in general, the quality of teams is not as strong as it has been. And you kind of look at the metrics and, and they kind of bear that out. So when we get to March, there's going to be a lot of fun. I think the bracket is going to be very entertaining this year. Oh, no doubt. And it's already been entertaining with some recent upsets and losses. All right, so let's get to the lead, to the first part of this. Matt Zimmick and I were talking about number one seeds uh, and and who 
might ultimately be there. We we don't we can't we can't obviously uh, say ironclad with anybody. I think right now. But you have four number one seeds in the most recent bracket that you have. And Chris has been doing this for a lot of years uh, with bloggingthebracket.com. Those are Purdue, Alabama, Kansas State, and even off the loss to Temple on the weekend, you still have Houston at the moment, late January, on your one line. Take me through just briefly those four teams, including Kansas State. What a story to be on your one line right now. Take me through all that real quick, Chris. Well, I think that Purdue and Alabama are really one and one A at this point. I think that they're the the two best teams, clearly, even though, as I said, this is going to be one of those seasons where if you put, you know, Purdue versus the field, Alabama versus the field, take the field every time. I'm not big into gambling, but that's just everybody's at the point where they they have a game where they're going to flip up. You talk about Houston losing to Temple at home, Temple, a team that lost to Maryland Eastern Shore at home earlier in the season. Um, to me, they're the team that's almost in the most danger just because the American isn't as great this year, even as it's been in usual years. Um, you know, Memphis is a threat. UCF lost to South Florida on Saturday, which really kind of hurt their at-large chances. Houston, to me, is the team that's really in danger because you still have Arizona and UCLA on that two-line, both of whom really, I think, have a great shot at maybe jumping up one of the two of them getting there. Kansas State, as you said, what can you say? They have, you know, basically two All-American level players. You know, it's a sure it's a first-year coach, but I I think the Wildcats are one of those teams that has really kind of risen to the challenge. Um, On Saturday, they took on Texas Tech after that emotional win over Kansas. And, you know, they had to pull that game out, and they have another very emotional game coming up on Saturday when Keontae Johnson's former team, the Florida Gators, Mm. visit manhattan mm. that's going to be something else and, and we should say to the audience we're releasing this on tuesday k-state playing iowa state chris and i don't know that result it's a game in ames iowa state's very capable of beating kansas state mm-hmm. obviously so we don't know that result just one more thing on their resume to me and looking at it and i know uh, you evaluate all of this strength of schedule the same kind of way that the committee will or what, what's in the net ranking, the power rankings, the strength of schedule. The strength of schedule for Kansas State, is it a little questionable? I mean, I see you know, that you beat an awful Pac-12 team in Cal in a true road game. You beat uh, LSU at home, but LSU is not very good even though it's an SEC team. How strong is the out-of-conference or is it more the Big 12 strength that's going to keep Kansas State up? I mean, now it's obviously only Big 12 games, but is it the Big 12 strength that's really going to benefit Kansas State on strength of schedule here to maybe hold them as a one seed or a two seed? Well, the LSU game was a neutral floor in the Cayman Islands that nobody saw because that tournament's only on, I believe it's flow hoops. Um, <laughs> so that, that helps them a little bit with that LSU result. But yeah, it's it's going to be that big 12 because right now you look at their quad one wins, they have five of them, four of them are big 12, two of them are on the road. The fifth, though, interestingly enough, is Nevada, who won a thriller over yeah. New Mexico last night and the Mountain West, I think their strength is really going to kind of push them up as well and, and kind of keep that game in that quad one position too. So, yeah, with only Big 12 games left, if Kansas State can keep going and doesn't, you know, hit, you know, kind of a midseason lull, which often happens at this time of year, um, 
I think they're going to be in really good shape. Well, to your point, they have the Iowa State game. They have Florida on the weekend, who's pretty good. And and Chris leans Gators because even though he's in the Midwest, he formerly was uh, at the University of Florida, et cetera. And, and the SEC is deep, and Florida's won some games. Okay, so again, Kansas State at Iowa State, Florida at home this weekend, then the rematch with Kansas is right away, and then the rematch with Texas, who they beat in a wild game in Austin. That is a quartet of strength of schedule games. Holy cow. Come well, on. let's put it this way. Of the top 20 teams in the bracket, six of them are Big 12 teams right now. Mm. Five of them are in the top 16. So, Tells you and, how and, Iowa, yeah. and Iowa State is 17th. So they, they just got dropped from a five, from a four to a five, because they're just too many strong teams in that league right now. Very much so. Chris Dobertine with me, bloggingthebracket.com. All right, so let's stay on the subject of Kansas, who takes a loss Monday night at Baylor and suddenly off the loss to TCU. That knocked them off your one line. Are they still stable at the two line? And they've got this game looming at Rupp Arena with Kentucky on Saturday. Are, are they in danger, even by the end of January, of not even being on the two line and maybe down at the three line or worse heading into February? Yeah, I think they are. Um, the one thing that's working in fa- their favor, of course, again, you look at their record, 16-4 and four overall. Their record in quadruple on games, though, is 7-4. and four, So they don't have any bad losses. All their metrics are still good. Um, I think they're okay for now. That Kentucky game is going to be absolutely crucial, um, especially with the way the Wildcats have kind of been going through a little bit of a renaissance after some early conference struggles. So... Yeah, and again, the strength of the Big 12 is is what's going to keep them up. Love Chris's insight. Okay, so give me uh, your, as you release it today on your latest projections, give me the other two seeds that you have. You referenced UCLA and Arizona. Do you have them both on the two line right now after their head-to-head matchup that Arizona won on the weekend? It snapped UCLA's 14-game win streak. Who are your two seeds right now? Well, in order, they're Arizona. Arizona is very much knocking on the door. Um, Kansas, Texas, and then UCLA. Interesting. Um, at UCLA, veteran guard play, obviously quality coach. They had won 14 games in a row. How much is it going? And they and again, uh, we talked a lot, uh, a lot with Matt Zimmick about this. They have the rematch with USC coming later this week. How much does it help or hurt UCLA in the Pac-12, which the Pac-12 may only end up being like a three-bid league. How much does it help or hurt them to hold on to a two-seed? What do you say to that, Chris? It's going to be – I think it's going to be really difficult for them because their three – their four best wins. They have four quad one wins, but they're all against teams that are currently outside of the net top 30. Their best win right now is Kentucky on a neutral floor. So right there, right. they need some help. Like if, if Kentucky beats Kansas, that's great for them. But otherwise, you have Maryland on the road, Arizona State, who's probably going to be the third Pac-12 team right now, Washington State, which they won by a single point. But, hey, it's a win. Yep. Um, that's pretty much all they have. I mean, the thing that really kind of helps them out is that they didn't play too many quad four games and quad three games. But the Pac-12 isn't going to give them – outside of you know usc on the road arizona you know in a rematch at home at poly they're mm-hmm. not going to get many opportunities to kind of improve their their quad one status and 
the committee seems to value those quality wins. Of course, we'll see what happens when they finally do their little preview in a couple of weeks. But that's going to be their big issue is the lack of quality wins. Dropping those two games to Baylor and Illinois and Las Vegas way back in, you know, over Thanksgiving week, that's really going to, I think, hurt them in the long run. Hurt them as holding on to a two seed. Obviously, they'll still be up high. And the Arizona game, as you know, Chris, is the very last game of the Pac-12 regular season weekend. And then you would have the tournament where you could theoretically beat Arizona again or beat an Arizona State or a, a USC or whomever up at the top. On a on a neutral floor, if it happens, to help the resume. That's that's the one thing we keep preaching, and we're even going to do it here in January. You can greatly help your resume in a span of like thirty six or forty eight hours with two or three yep. neutral floor wins in these power conferences, uh, if you are able to get them. All right, in the Big East, I am curious, UConn. Where do you have them right now? They they arguably were a one seed at the beginning of January. Oh yeah, right. And where do you uh, have well, them now? What do you what do you have them at? Well, at the beginning of January, you know, I had UConn up there with with Purdue and Alabama, and Houston is kind of being the four teams that seem to have separated themselves above everybody else. Oh, and Kansas was in that group too. So right. those are really kind of the top five. Now they're down; they're the top number three seed, so they're ninth overall. So they're still there. Um, really, their early season's results are kind of keeping them afloat. You know, compared to you know their struggles recently in Big East play. So if they get back things back together relatively quickly they're going to be right there in the thick of it and again in the case of uconn they have a win over alabama on a neutral floor they have a win over iowa state on a neutral floor they have a true road win at florida all of this out of the conference but then you balance that by losing a couple of games they lost to st john's uh and they also uh lost to Seton Hall coming up. You don't have Seton Hall in the field right now. No. Correct? I so, those, so those are not good for the rest of their schedule. Short term, they play Xavier midweek on Wednesday, UConn we're talking about. They then play easy games at DePaul and at Georgetown with bad teams, even though they're road games. But then it's Marquette, Creighton, a Seton Hall rematch, and Providence. That's an interesting quartet of games. How strong do you have the Big East right now? While while we talk, do you have four or five Big East teams in? Do you have more in at the I, moment? What what do you have for that conference? I have five. I like I said, UConn on the three line, both Xavier and Marquette on the four line. Xavier was a two seed, but you know all that juggling at the top, especially in the Pac twelve and in the Big Twelve, pushed them all the way down to a four. Even though they probably you know based on the results that shouldn't have happened. Um, it's just so crowded at the top. And then Providence is a six. And then Creighton. Creighton is, is going to be one of those teams that I think is really going to challenge the committee in terms of you know, evaluating a resume. They're one of the last four buys as an 11 seed right now. Uh, and I'm looking for Marquette. Uh, as well, Marquette has come on. Remember, they've got an out. Of, they've got an out-of-conference win over Baylor. Uh, Marquette also very impressively won against Providence. Um, yeah. and, and they do, they play DePaul who's bad on Saturday, but I'm looking at their, their, uh, recent future, their, their next two or three games, DePaul on the weekend, then Villanova, Butler, all very winnable. Then the rematch at UConn on February 7th, you got Marquette as a four right now with, uh, Shaka, with Shaka smart, but they could, they could easily find themselves on the three line or higher if they keep winning, maybe not much more than that, but if they keep winning in the regular season, they could be up to around a three seed, something like that. Right. 
Yeah, that's correct. And you, and you talk about the conference tournaments, you know, and giving teams opportunities to win a lot of games in a 36, 48 mm-hmm. hour span. But if your regular season sets up correctly, you can do the same thing. And I think that's really kind of what ha- you, know, you look, that's what happens to Kansas. You know, it's really not even in the span of a week, they lost three games. And that dropped them all the way from, you know, being the number one overall seed to, you know, tenuously being on the two line, even though they're six overall. So you multiply that nationally to all the other conferences, and yeah, there's still a lot of room for movement, especially when, as I said, the the metrics for everybody this year are a little bit down. So I think that that makes things a little bit easier for teams to make a big move really quickly. Love the insight of Chris Dobertine. Just a couple of more moments. All right, it is now around the time. I've, I've been ridiculing everybody, not you in specific, on the last four in, last four out thing before the end of January. Now that we're at the end of January, we can start kicking this around. So on the most recent release at bloggingthebracket.com, the last four in for you that you have playing in Dayton, et cetera, who are those last four in? Those would be Oklahoma and Kentucky in one matchup Mm. and USC and Wake Forest in the other. Very interesting. And Wake Forest with some quality wins, including beating Duke, including beating Kansas, but you still have them. USC, Wake Forest. Wow. And again, these teams can help their their chances of being safely in and not playing in Dayton later on in the year. Interesting. Kentucky with Kansas, enormous resume builder, even though it's at home, yeah. right, for this weekend. If, if Calipari's bunch with Shebway and company can get that win, that is a huge solidifier after the Tennessee road oh, yeah. win as well to help them out, right, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, that's the type of win that can lift them, you know, maybe even up all the way to an eight, nine game just because of the quality of those teams, you know, in between. It, it's just going to be tremendous for them. Oklahoma's another team, you know, that has an opportunity is, you know, they host Bama on Saturday. So that's so- another squad, you know, that's a two Eastern game that they can, you know, end up, if they win that game, they're going to end up in a lot better position. Yep. Help yourself with these matchups, these made-for-TV matchups. And along those same lines, who are the last four out real quick, uh, right now subject to change, right on the line? Well, (laughs) this is a very interesting group. You have Nevada, even with that loss, or even with with that win over New Mexico on Monday night. Um, Nevada was only in as the Mountain West leader. And, you know, San Diego State has jumped them because they – Nevada lost another game, you know, during the week. So that dropped them down. So they're the first team out. Then Wisconsin, who lost to Northwestern on Monday in a rescheduled game. Virginia Tech, even with that win mm. over Duke. And then West Virginia, who, you know, started out really great in non-conference and is now 11-8 and eight and has only won one Big 12 game. So that's your, your first quartet of teams left out. And it's a good point uh, to emphasize here that Virginia Tech, that was only, what, their second ACC win, now two and seven. What is what is West Virginia? Are they one and five or one and six in the Big 12? It's not so much look at the conference record. It's what is the overall body of work that still has them contending? Do they have a strong strength of schedule? Do they have a quality win or two away from home? If they do, that helps. Those things matter. And in the case of West Virginia, they're playing in the toughest uh, by strength of schedule conference that there is. So if you pick up a win or two in that conference, it can help push you 
into uh, into the first four, right? If you're West Virginia or anybody in the Big 12 late in the year, Oklahoma it's, too. It, it's hilarious to look at their, their schedule, you know, their team sheet, and it's quad one, three and eight. No quad two games yet. They're going to get a lot more quad one games because of the Big 12. Quad three, they play UAB at home and beat them, which is a good win. And then they have seven quad four wins. So, you know, they, they're only going to have good wins from here on out. So that might be a question of if they really, really struggle, they're going to probably end up like that Vanderbilt team of a few years ago that ended up with a, a losing record but ended up being like in the top 50 of Ken Palm because the schedule was so tough. Right. That's probably going to be West Virginia this year if they if they don't find a way to, to put the ball in the basket a little more efficiently. Again, West Virginia will play Auburn in that SEC Big 12 Challenge at home, early game coming up. Uh, West Virginia's got Texas Tech on Wednesday night, first at home, then Auburn, then at TCU. Again, we will say this repeatedly, will we not, Chris? They can greatly help themselves. Just win a game or two out of that group, and you're going to be in much better shape if you're West Virginia. you got those opportunities to help yourself take advantage of it. I don't know how many times you and I have done these interviews. I've done them with so many other people over the last (laughs) 20 years where people come crying in February and early March uh, about their status, they're not in, and the committee says to them, who did you beat? Who did you yeah. beat at the end of your schedule in particular that would have put you in? One or two of those wins on who did you beat would have mattered. You didn't win those games. Win your games. Yeah. And great opportunity for for uh, West Virginia uh, because in, the, in this case, Auburn definitely in the tournament, TCU mm-hmm. on a road definitely in the tournament, if West Virginia wins one of those games or both of those games, they're probably in the tournament on uh, on the resume building yeah. down the road. All right, uh, listen, you've been very gracious with me with your time. Plug away on blogging the bracket, your social media, et cetera, Chris, on how they find you. All right, well, brackets on Tuesday and the Friday post varies. Last Friday, I did an interesting post on tournament expansion, redesigning the tournament. Very interesting ideas that i had come up with right with how to do that um this friday i think i'm probably going to focus on that one seed race that you talk about um and then as we get into next week we'll in, end up going more into bracket on tuesday bubble discussion quasi bracket on friday um at blockingthebracket.com and then chris dobertine on twitter sbn bracketology on twitter too Yep. Find him at Chris Dobertine, all one thing, D-O-B-B-E-R-T-E-A-N. I love this man's insight. He's gracious to give me time. I love bothering him about the brackets on and off the air and and getting insight from him because he does this all the time, full time in the college basketball season on uh, where teams are going to be and uh, and how. Chris, thank you. Great stuff. I appreciate it as always. Anytime, PJ. Again, bloggingthebracket.com for him. Again, thanks to Matt Zimmick as well with the USC Trojans Wire, USC, UCLA later this week. And Matt gave us a bunch of stuff on West Coast basketball. Let's see what happens with that Kansas-Kentucky game uh, for this weekend, whether it's Big 12, Big East, ACC. We didn't talk a ton of ACC. Uh, Duke taking on some water with another loss at Virginia Tech this week. I'm not saying they're going to miss the tournament, but very interesting times for them. Anyway, we aggregate all of it here. It's called College Basketball Coast to Coast. Thank you for finding us. Make sure you're following, subscribing, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're here, headed towards March, the NCAA tournament in the Final Four with College Basketball Coast to Coast.